Welcome to the Austin Institute's podcast, What We Can't Not Talk About. At the end of the day, as long as we're getting young women interested in learning more about their bodies, learning that their fertility is a feature and not a bug of their feminine bodies, it's wonderful. And I'm, I'm so excited to see this growing interest in young women in particular. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of our podcast, What We Can't Not Talk About, the podcast of the Austin Institute for the Study of Family and Culture. So after a brilliant episode with Christopher West, with whom we discussed the theology of the body, and in which we warned ourselves, I would say, and the audience about the dangers of the so-called contraceptive mentality, I think it's just fitting to host an episode on family planning. We should call it maybe natural family planning. That's how a lot of people call it. But I think I have good reasons to omit that term for now, because that is what it is. It is a family planning. Today, we're going to discuss methods to space and plan childbearing in our lives. Again, we're going to discuss this because we've discussed about the contraceptive mentality, right? So what does it mean to not accept the generative nature of our body? And so now we need to discuss what it means to accept and to leave the generative nature and purpose of our body. So these methods, however, the one that we will discuss, the so-called natural methods, do not contradict the theologies of our bodies, where by theologies, we exactly mean, you know, their larger scope, their metaphysical goal of our bodies, of our, the bodies of men and females. And, and these methods of family planning also would not contradict the nature of marriage, where marriage is interpreted as a mutual gift of self, permanent and complete mutual gift, where there is nothing is reserved for ourselves, right? We don't preserve anything, we give it all. And so to address this issue, since as you can tell, I'm not exactly nor necessarily an expert, even though podcasters need to be expert on a little bit of everything. But to address this issue, I've invited a true expert in the field, Grace Emily Stark. Good morning, Emily, and welcome on our show. Good morning, Mariana. Thanks for having me. Yeah, th thanks for accepting the, the invitation. And I said you're a true expert, but how about you introduce yourself with a couple of words so you justify my description of you as such in the natural family planning word. All right. Well, first of all, I didn't know I was going to be following Christopher West. So, wow, <laughs> pressure's on. My name is Grace Emily Stark the editor of an organization called Natural Womanhood. We're a nonprofit organization based out of San Antonio, Texas, that works to promote natural family planning and fertility awareness-based methods for women and couples, young women uh, who don't need to be married to learn about their body, learn about their cycles, learn about their fertility, and couples who are looking to use these methods for family planning, for spacing children. And so the reason why I feel really passionate about the work at Natural Womanhood and why I'm involved with it is because I taught, my husband and I have been teaching the symptothermal method of fertility awareness for a long time now, for seven, eight years through the Couple to Couple League. And they're a wonderful organization but they are a Catholic organization. And you'll find uh, the more you delve into this space that most of the organizations that teach or promote fertility awareness, natural family planning come from a religious bent because for a long time, the only people who knew about this stuff, cared about this stuff were Catholics. Mm. And so the CEO of Natural Womanhood, he and his wife over 10 years ago now, realized that there was a real need to meet other people where they were at with this information, that it wasn't just Catholics who could benefit from knowing a little bit more about how their bodies worked, how pregnancy happens, how you can use the natural rhythms built into your body to space children. And even beyond that, how you can use that information that your body's giving you as a woman to really use it as a fifth vital sign. So use it as a way to monitor your overall health and use your charts that you, you use to track your cycle to really as a diagnostic tool in the hands of the right doctor 
for folks who are totally unfamiliar with fertility yeah. awareness and natural family planning, I threw out some terms there that which we will we'll definitely yeah, break yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, we will. We absolutely will. And also, yeah. you know, you we talked about spacing out children, but I think it's also, as you said, fertility awareness is also, we know how many women having children very late are dealing with infertility. And so mm-hmm. it's not just spacing mm-hmm. in order not to have 15 children, but, and yeah. it's a, uh, trying to understand how our bodies work. And then you mentioned this fifth vital sign. And I know it's actually an article you wrote that I had the pleasure to read recently of how our, the menstrual cycle for, for women is the fifth, the fifth vital sign. But before we go there, I think there was something that I wanted to mention later on, but you brought it up now, you know, how the organizations that were doing natural family planning were necessarily religious and, you know, many of mm-hmm. them were Catholic. And of course, Christopher West did not hide, you know, that we, we don't hide that, you know, what we believe in. But I think it's interesting mm-hmm. for, for the audience that is approaching us from a lay perspective. I think it's very interesting to look at this issue for one second, stepping aside, you know, moving away from the natural family planning, thinking of the word and human beings in a broader, with a, in a broader way. And, you know, we recently read Del Noche here with some of the students, and there is something that Del Noche, as many other philosophers mid of the 20th century realized, which is we live in a world where it's not that religion has been set aside, but is the religious dimension. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about methods of fertility that do not only involve merely mechanisms that reduce us to matter, we don't mm-hmm. need to embrace necessarily one faith. But we just need to keep our keep the question open, right? And saying, maybe, even if we don't have an answer, but maybe this thing that I call soul or these things that I call emotions and feelings, maybe they have something to tell me about myself that mm-hmm. goes beyond what science for now can also measure and record, yep. right? So yeah. The suggestion that I think that the religious organizations, then they also embrace one particular answer. But I think that the reason many times they are, they can be ahead of times is that they acknowledge this missing piece, right? So the the metaphysical dimension, the religious dimension, the uh, unmeasurable dimension, right? And And talking about unmeasurable, we know, you know, there are many conceptions that happen, uh, you know, with infertile couples because there is real love or, you know, like the way our bodies work is very, it's a lot, it's very much related to our emotions. Stressful yeah. times are the sources of all sorts of diseases. And, you know, the stress is always the last cause of every possible uh, yeah. diagnosis we get. One day we will understand what the stress really is. But so I just wanted to to mention this to help people who have you know, an initial skepticism for methods that have been promoted by religious organizations as if Mm -hmm. they required embracing a particular belief. Um, Right. And where we have really made some inroads and found some, you know, interesting partnerships in, in this space are with kind of the more quote unquote crunchy folks who, you know, take that holistic approach to their food, their medicine, you know, the people who look for hormone-free meat and milk and, you know, pesticide-free vegetables, and then wake up one morning and go, wait, I'm shopping at the farmer's market, but then I'm taking a pill full of synthetic hormones every single morning. What am I doing? And more and more, we're seeing young women come to that realization who, who have this passion for you know, living naturally. Yeah. Like waking up and just wondering what the heck am I doing? What are the alternatives? And so we are finding there's this big interest in, in young women who are of that natural, you know, crunchy bent who are interested in these methods. And that's where you see things like the, the explosion of popularity in the femtech space. So the wearable devices for measuring your basal body temperature and tracking your cycle with an app and that sort of thing. And, you know, I, I have opinions on all those things and some of them are better than others, but I think at the end of the day, as long as we're getting young women interested in learning more about their bodies, learning that their fertility is a feature and not a bug of their feminine bodies, it's, it's wonderful. And I'm, I'm so excited to see this growing interest in young women in particular, and just this hunger for you know, my husband and I, over the years, as we have taught couples, we have heard the same refrain so many times. 
when we get these couples who come in and some of them are skeptical. Some of them are only coming to take the class to learn the method because their priest told them that they needed to before they could get married or, you know, there's all sorts of reasons people come in and some are very skeptical. And once they start learning the science behind it, learning, oh, there's data to back this up. Oh, there's actual biological mechanisms that are happening here that we can track and that can tell us things. The overwhelming refrain that we hear from women in particular is why wasn't I taught this earlier? Like some women even get a little bit angry, (laughs) rightfully so, because they think, you know, why, why did no one think that I was intelligent enough to learn this earlier on, or that I would be interested enough in taking care of myself to learn this earlier on? At the end of the day, as long as we're getting young women interested in learning more about their bodies, learning that their fertility is a feature and not a bug of their yeah. feminine bodies. It's it's wonderful. And I'm I'm so excited to see this growing interest in young women in particular. So you get this righteous indignation, to my mind, from a lot of women who say, you know, why why was sex ed in public school boiled down to, you know, how to put a condom on a yeah. banana. Yeah. And yet I never learned that there's about a week every single month of my cycle that I can actually get pregnant and that I can determine that week with, you know, up to 99% efficacy with perfect use of some of these particular methods. And that actually rivals and is better than many of the mainstream contraceptives. It's better. It has a better perfect use rate than the pill. Even yeah. Less. And, and, you know, we could talk and I would like to talk now about the side effects because I think that we all start to get interested in things, you know, from some things that we start hearing about. And of course, we all have a lot of, you know, as women here, but this is also a program for men. And I want to mention some things about them too. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, the being bio, bio, bio what's whatever is the English pronunciation. Bio. Yeah. All right. And, and there is something, <laughs> you know, Austin is the place for it. Like I, I go out and I meet all this, you know, young ladies that love to write and to eat, um, and to eat very green and they do not oh, yes, go to the, the grocery the anymore. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but you know, there's not only women like that, there's men and oh, yeah. plenty of them. Mm-hmm. And like, are you serious? Like, do you really want everything to be bio, but then you want to have your children with someone who is taking lots of hormones of all sorts and you actually do not know what is happening in their body. So there needs to be, if you want to be, you know, to have your religion with the, then just be consistent, you know, you need to, you need to stick to it. On that front, you know, I know that you won, you were awarded the Robert Novak Alumni Fund Journalism Fellowship to research and to write about the story of birth control, birth control side effects, and the growing interest in natural uh, methods of family planning. But you are definitely an expert on the side effects. And I know that there's been a petition, I think it's still open maybe to the FDA. So what is it that both men with girlfriends or planning on dating someone and mm-hmm. women uh, who are suggested, recommended appeal to regulate their fertility might want to know that they're not usually told about uh, the side I effect. mean, just point blank is that the pill is not nearly as innocuous, as safe as we've been led to believe. That's what our entire petition to the FDA is about. We have decades worth of research about risks and side effects that come with these methods that have to do with the synthetic hormones that are in them. They have wide-reaching effects all over the body. It's it's folly to believe that you can tinker with your hormones, which affect literally every bodily system, and think that it's all just going to stay localized, just, you know, keep you from ovulating and it that won't do it won't do anything else, you know. And we're seeing, especially now as, you know, generations of women have grown up on the pill, we're seeing the long-term effects that come with taking it for 10 years, 20 years, even 30 years in people who were given it as teenagers. And so things like nutritional deficiencies that are caused that might not make a big deal for, you know, a couple of years, but what are we looking at 10 years down the line when you've been chronically deficient in all your most important B vitamins because we know that the pill does that. What do we see from women who have not been ovulating 
for all these years. And we know that ovulation is how women build bone density, particularly when they're in their teens and young twenties. And if you haven't been ovulating and you haven't been building that bone density, what are your bones going to look like as a 30, 40 year old? And so bone density, just for the ones that, you know, this is among, especially what I learned is white Caucasian women are at the highest risk of osteoporosis. Mm-hmm. Osteoporosis means you're 50, you fall down the stairs, break your leg. You know, it's not a pleasant life ever after. So bone density no. is not just, okay, something that the doctor is going to measure. It right. determines the rest of your life. And not even breaking bones when you fall, but your teeth can be affected. Your cavities, your teeth can fall out. We have stories from women on natural womanhood who have been on the Depo-Provera birth control shot in Which, particular. honestly, talking about Depo-Provera, I, I wrote my thesis as in 2008 in law school about the effects that were documented. I thought it was illegal oh, by it now. terrible? Yeah, but I thought, I, I honestly, I was surprised to know, you know, I, I hope I'm, we're not getting in trouble here for, for saying this, but, you know, I would like to understand what, and I know your husband is a doctor. I mean, this, this mm-hmm. petition, can we just make it clear? These petitions are signed by doctors. We're not talking about, you know, we want to be the crazy green. Oh, yeah. No. Um, the petition on the Natural Womanhood website to the FDA, first of all, is not saying, you know, oh, you need to make birth control illegal. You need to take birth control away. The only method that we've said should be taken off the market is Depo-Provera because it is heinous what it does to women's bodies. What exactly but, does it do? Document it. Uh, women who have been on it for years, which you're not supposed to be on it for more than I believe two or three years, but that gets ignored in practice. There are women who in their twenties and thirties have the bones of like 70 year old women. They'll fall a normal fall that would normally not hurt, you know, a 25 year old and they've broken hips and a wrist, just crazy things like that. And it also definitively uh, increases your risk of HIV transmission. There have been several very well done studies that have borne that out. And the fact that they use Depo-Provera in sub-Saharan Africa primarily and the rates of HIV there, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't take a wide leap to say, you know, what, what are we doing? What's going on here? So it, it does. And it also, we have stories of women who have been on it just, you know, for a year and told that, oh, once it wears off, you'll be able to get pregnant. Well, you know, one, two, three years down the line of it mm-hmm. wearing off and they're still unable to get pregnant. So we don't, the, the thing with it is it's not a device that you can take out. It's in your bloodstream and there's no way of getting rid of it once it's in you until it wears off or doesn't. It's, a, it's effects that it. So because there are so many other methods on the market that women can choose from. Our petition does say, you know, there are outsized risks with Depo-Provera. And for that reason, it should be taken off the market. But for everything else, the pills, the IUDs, the implants, we just advocate that the FDA requires pharmaceutical companies to be more upfront about the evidence-based risks and side effects. Because right now, as it stands, women and their doctors often have no idea just how bad these hormones can be for you women. You only have that very, 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 very fast ad at the end of the yeah. Like any, you know, any ads, but like any goes that, you know, like yeah. everything, like it ends like exactly like less than yep. you know less than half of a second with all the side yep. effects. But you know, and in the, the wording meantime. is done such that women believe that they're only at increased risks, especially for things like blood clots, mm-hmm. the venous thrombo. Um, embolism events, which, which with the COVID vaccination, I mean, proved to be a big deal. Yeah. For women, it it is a big risk for a lot of different things, but the, uh, the wording is done on the packaging for birth control such that it misleads women into thinking that their risk is only elevated if they're 35 overweight or smoking. And the truth is that your risk is elevated for blood clots, no matter who you are, no matter your age, no matter your weight, no matter whether or not you smoke compared to the average woman who's not on these drugs. Yeah. And so there's all sorts of misleading tactics. It's very much like, you know, big tobacco back in the sixties and seventies where they just 
continually, purposefully seem to mislead women about these drugs and make them seem like they're they're just effective and they don't do anything else and it's okay. And that's where we see women going in to their doctors and being gaslighted. You know, I'm I'm on this pill and I feel like I'm going crazy. I don't feel like I'm myself anymore. Or I'm on the IUD and it's excruciating and I hate it. And you have their doctors telling them, oh no, it doesn't do that. The pill doesn't do that. The IUD doesn't do that. Even, you know, in some cases, outright refusing. I mean, you can stop taking a pill, right? Of your own volition, but you really should have a doctor remove your IUD and you definitely need a doctor to and remove also, the And also, I mean, for a lot of women, implant. a lot of women that have been suggested, you know, the pill to regulate their fertility, then they're left with not knowing where to go. Because if they refuse, you know, we have a lot of doctors that say, well, you know, I don't know how to help you unless you want. Uh, yes. Right. You want other hormones yeah. to ovulate, right. ovulate. So stepping back now and for those, you know, followed us saying, what the heck are they talking about when they talk <laughs> about natural family planning? What are we talking about and why is that what distinguishes contraception from natural family planning? And honestly, I would like to call it family planning because I don't know why we need to call it natural. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I I get what you're saying with yeah. that, definitely, because it just it, it should be the normal way we do things, right? Yeah. Contraception, you know, contracept is literally against conception. When you're taking a pill, when you're using a device, you're actively suppressing your body's ability to conceive, mostly by preventing your body from ovulating. And so it's the biggest lie that women have ever been sold that birth control will regulate your cycle or regulate your fertility. Because the truth is you don't have a cycle when you're on birth control. You don't at all because you need to ovulate and menstruate. That's your menstrual cycle is ovulating and then menstruating. You do neither of those things when you're on the pill or the IUD, the hormonal ones anyway, um, because they actively suppress your body from being able to ovulate your ovaries from releasing an egg every C- month. Could we just repeat? Because maybe it's absolutely obvious for a few of the people listening to us, but I'm starting to understand that there are a lot of things that are not obvious that to me uh-huh. are obvious. So to uh-huh. the girls or and or to the boyfriends of those girls listening, yes, yeah, she's, you know, every 28 days, something happens. Doesn't mean she's ovulating. Mm-hmm. Something is caused by the pill. Her body is not working in the meantime. Mm-hmm. You're put, mm-hmm. you, you are putting the woman on a pause. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So some people compare it to almost being like pregnant or being in menopause. It's not quite either of those things, but they're a good way to get people thinking about the fact that it stops you from ovulating, which naturally happens in pregnancy and naturally happens when you're in menopause. Those are normal hormonal processes that stop you from ovulating pregnancy and menopause. It's an abnormal synthetic hormone cocktail in your pill or your IUD or your implant when you're on birth control that's stopping your body from ovulating. And if you don't ovulate, you don't release an egg, which can't then be fertilized and you can't get pregnant or so the theory goes because sometimes you do ovulate. You have breakthrough ovulation to quote uh, what Jeff Goldblum in uh, the Jurassic Park movies, mm-hmm. life, life always finds a way. Yeah. <laughs> What a great uh, sometimes, yeah. you know, you, you take your pill a day late or, or later in the day than you normally do and your ovary might release an egg and it could end up getting fertilized and you could end up conceiving. But there are other mechanisms that then will kick in sometimes with um, these synthetic hormones where they'll thin your mucus, your cervical mucus, because you actually need three things to get pregnant, which is another thing people don't know. Is you don't only need an egg and a sperm, but you need good quality fertile cervical mucus because that's what allows the sperm to be protected and swim up through the reproductive tract so that they can actually make it to an egg. So without those three things, conception can't happen. And so if you do end up ovulating when you're on the pill, these secondary and tertiary mechanisms of action kick in where it chronically thins your cervical mucus. So It makes it less likely that the sperm can get up to where they need to go. And the other thing it does is it chronically thins the lining, the endometrium. So So which, as as we said before, you know, could become a problem if at some point in your life you want to stop 
and you want to start, you know. Yeah. And that's one theory behind why women have a hard time conceiving after Depo-Provera in particular is that it almost seems to atrophy the lining of the the endometrium, the lining of the uterus where conceived, newly conceived life would implant if it were thick enough. And could you agree that the reason why, you know, natural family planning might be a little more metaphysical to understand when we come down to why condoms? I mean, I think that for us is very evident why condoms are not okay, but you know, the medical reasons then become less maybe because true, you know, natural family planning, we will say it is more effective in preventing, but there is something, you know, that in, in order to understand why condoms disrupt love and the union, I think mm-hmm. people need to be willing to grasp that there is a dimension about human sexuality that is not reducible to the pleasure that it causes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, I've heard it compared to, you know, giving someone a hug through plastic. You're, you're holding back some of yourself. And on that note too, uh, well, just if, if we're, you know, in keeping with wanting to appeal to more of a secular audience that says, okay, well, but I don't really, that's a little too far gone for me to think of things that way. I don't see the big deal. Someone's not putting hormones in their body. I get why you don't want to do that, but where, where do condoms matter? You know, and actually there are folks who use natural family planning and fertility awareness in tandem with condoms and it lowers your effectiveness of your fertility awareness method because your family planning methods that you're using, they're only as good as your least effective method, right? And so if you're using a fertility awareness method and you're using condoms during your fertile period, which is when people use them so that they don't have to abstain because that's your other choice. If that condom slips or breaks during your most fertile period, <laughs> that's not the fault of your, your fertility awareness method. That's the fault of the condom. And so that's where, you know, science is actually on the side of using a fertility awareness method and abstaining when you're most fertile instead of, you know, using something else. If you're trying to be as effective as possible at, you know, preventing pregnancy during that particular cycle. Yeah. Cause as we said, you know, natural family planning methods involves methods that are not contraceptive. So they are not preventing conception. Mm-hmm. So by allowing the union to happen. And of course, as you mentioned, one of them is abstention uh, during at this point, very limited period of time. Now, some people are afraid of it, but I know, and people can go on your website and read all the stories of how actually abstain, as it is true, you know, we fast a lot because then we love the meal after fasting, right? Like there is, mm-hmm. there is a joy that comes from deprivation that, you know, and, and, you know, and we live in a world inundated by pornography where, you know, mm-hmm. kids, and we can say kids, yeah. very young people are not finding any pleasure in a real, uh, real life engagement with a woman because they're, yeah. so, I mean, I think that maybe to their brain, even this makes a lot of sense, right? That mm-hmm. uh, an abstention that lasts five days uh, might, you know. Eight-ish, eight-ish. is okay. the more realistic okay. average. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting because in conversations that we've had with couples, especially those who have used contraception before and then moved to fertility awareness, the... Men are sometimes hesitant when they hear that there's going to be a period of time where abstaining is necessary. But then as they get into it and they practice it, they almost become more enthusiastic about it because it's it's calling them to something better. Because when they they really, you know, get into it and they realize like this is how I'm I'm honoring my wife. This is how I am putting aside my desires for her good, for her, the, the good of the other. Because if you've agreed that, you know, you don't want to get pregnant this cycle and you know how bad birth control can be for your wife and not only her physical health, but her mental and emotional health as well, then there's no other recourse, but to see fertility awareness as something that's calling you, especially as a man, calling you to love your spouse better when you're putting aside your desire to will her good 
Essential. And I, I really love that you mentioned it because before uh, before recording the podcast, I have asked some of the men friends that I have. So, you know, I'm going to talk about natural family planning. And I know that for men, it's just like, okay, you know, they just want to listen many times, but they don't, don't really. So, you know, why are the questions that come from a man? Mm-hmm. You know, and one of, I think that somehow the question is also, how do I learn and how do I talk about it if I'm not in a relationship? Because usually, mm-hmm. right, it's the woman says, okay, come with me. You know, I'll, I'll tell yeah. you. There's a sense of, you know, being embarrassed and like not knowing uh, how to understand and, and how to. So I'll have another question afterwards, but like, let's start from there. What, what should they do? So there are some programs for teens that are really great that are popping up. Well, actually, the one in particular I'm thinking of, Teen Star, has been around for a few decades now. And they have a teen girl and a teen boy program, which is great because there is such a dearth of um, outreach, well, to all teens in general about holistic, a holistic approach to sex and fertility, but especially to boys. And right now we're working on some programs geared toward teen girls. And then I hope that we can start figuring out ways to reach out to more teen boys. But yeah, right now the reality is that unless you were lucky enough to go to a school that had a program for you, or unless you had parents who were just very open and engaged with you as a kid and a teen, you're probably not going to be exposed to any of this information as a male until you're in a relationship. And that's okay in that you don't have to know the ins and outs of the menstrual cycle, I think, as a male until you're in a relationship necessarily. it's I think it's good to definitely have a, something of an understanding and an outline. But if you're you know, a male listening and you're in your 20s and looking for a serious relationship and realizing you know nothing about the menstrual cycle, I don't think you have to fear that you're, um, that you're hopeless, that something went wrong or that, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to But it might be when. helpful, you know, what we already said, it might be helpful for them to know that, you know, as, as you might not want to date and I don't, I'm not suggesting that, but like, you might not want to date someone who drinks a lot or that smokes a lot, you know, maybe, uh-huh. you know, another thing you might not want her to do is to know that she hasn't ovulated for the last 15 years of her life, right? Cause maybe she's 30 and started the pill when she was 15. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you're worried about her health condition, if you love her, you know, you might want to ask her, you know, do you, have you heard about this? Or, you know, even when meeting someone, like having a conversation as we have conversations like, oh, why are you buying your meat at the grocery and you're not, right? Like just being a little more concerned. Yeah. About, yeah. About no, the- I think it's really, it is important. And I wish that there were more resources out there. For now, I think it's kind of up to, the way that I'm raising my son is that he's going to know this stuff, whether he wants to or not. <laughs> and, you know, I'm introducing things to him and, and my daughters in age appropriate ways. A, a big part of it is is educating parents so that kids can grow up just with this knowledge of their bodies and the goodness of their whole body and what it means to be a man and a woman. I think that that's where a lot of it boils down to is just encouraging parents not to be afraid to answer their kids' questions in age-appropriate ways, to not be afraid to to not feel like you need to hide. I'm thinking in particular of, you know, your menstrual cycle as a woman. You have, if you have little kids at home, they're going to follow you into the bathroom, right? I mean, that's just what they do. And when I have been on my period and my kids have followed me into the bathroom and they've seen, you know, what I'm doing in the bathroom they ask questions and I don't try to hide it. You know, I'm not like, Hey, come in here. I'm going yeah. <laughs> to use the bathroom. Come see what I'm doing. But if they come in and they ask questions, you know, I have come up with, you know, just some really simple explanations like, yes, mommy's bleeding right now because there isn't a baby in my tummy. And normally that blood would be inside of me to keep a baby warm and cozy, but there's no baby this month. And so it's coming out and you know, it, it doesn't hurt and it'll stop in a few days and then more blood will come in case there's a baby inside of me. And just kind of these very, very simple explanations for my kids have, I mean, already, I think my five-year-old boy and my three-year-old girl have a better understanding right there, like baseline understanding of the menstrual cycle and fertility than your average American high schooler. And all it took was a trip to the bathroom, you know. 
And could we dispel a myth that people who use natural family planning end up having eight, nine kids necessarily? Not necessarily. You know, I think people sometimes look at big families who use natural family planning and they think it's a failure of the method. But if you've ever struggled to get pregnant and you realize uh, those big families can actually be a sign of how well a method works, because increasingly today, it's not easy for people to get pregnant and they have no idea how to maximize their chances of getting pregnant. And that's kind of the other side of the coin with fertility awareness is that you know absolutely when you can get pregnant every month, which means you have a really good chance of getting pregnant if you want to, right? Yeah. And can and we so talk about on that side? Because I, I am convinced that the people listening to us will have a lot more fertility problems than problems of big families because, you know, mm -hmm. the age of marriage is later, but also because of all the things that we have done wrong mm -hmm. uh, growing up. And I put myself in that group. Why is fertility awareness better than IVF or there are other methods out there to, in order mm -hmm. to conceive and have kids? So why would still natural family planning fertility awareness be a better method? Well, so on average, uh, a couple who's, I don't know, probably 35 or younger have a 90% chance of conceiving after a year of just having random intercourse. Within six months, a couple who's 35 and younger have a 90% chance of conceiving if they're tracking cycles and having sex when they know they can get pregnant. And actually for a lot of folks, it's even less. It can be three months. Um, and it's because when you are in this rhythm of knowing and understanding your body, you know when you can get pregnant. You're not messing around, you know, thinking, okay, we have to just have sex at least every other, that's what you'll, a doctor will, the typical doctor will tell you just, oh, just have sex every other night for, you know, in perpetuity and it'll happen eventually. Well, no, we can get quite a bit more targeted than that. A lot more targeted than that. And a lot of people find that just that understanding of, oh, this is when I can get pregnant. When I'm seeing these signs from my body, when I'm seeing this cervical mucus, when I'm seeing, when I'm feeling this certain way, that tells me I'm at my most fertile. And a lot of folks find that if they were having uh, problems getting pregnant before, just knowing that information can be a complete game changer, a total game changer, right? Because you're not flying blind anymore. You're not just throwing darts randomly. With folks who are older than 35, you know, if your fertility is naturally waning, it's even better then to be able to pinpoint and target when you're fertile. And, you know, if you're younger than 35, older than 35, no matter your age, you know, there could be some hormonal issues at play, which you can also pick up on via your charting, via monitoring your cycles, which in the hands of a right doctor, a doctor who's trained to look at a woman's charts and understand her menstrual cycle and do the right kinds of blood work at the right time and the right kinds of, you know, ultrasounds if you need to, that sort of thing on your ovaries, your uterus to see what's going on, what, what are we working with here? Those kinds of doctors can help improve someone's natural fertility to the point where they can conceive naturally. And we don't have to do these kind of unnatural things like IVF, where, you know, we're just creating a child in a Petri dish and then implanting it and hoping it takes. And so the fertility awareness, natural family planning approach in conjunction with restorative reproductive medicine is much more aligned with, you know, what is the body not doing that it should be doing naturally? How can we fix whatever is wrong? Infertility is often a symptom of an issue. It's not the issue itself. It's yeah, you call it, you call it the, the fifth, you are not the first one, but like the, the fifth vital sign that we were mentioning. I will link, exactly. uh, we will link to, that, to that article on this episode. But since you mentioned doctors, there are two things that I wanted. So the other myth, myth to dispel is that the natural family planning are hard methods and, and time consuming and we'll get there. But before that, since you mentioned doctors and ultrasounds and blood work, we know that these things come with a cost. Mm -hmm. Something interesting happened. I think that we still have coverage for it until December of this year, but I don't know what's happening next. Something happened with the Biden administration and natural family planning. Do you want to say more about it? Yeah. Well, so fortunately, the Alliance Defending Freedom got on the case and they were able to put a stay on the change that was going to go into effect. But to give background, 
The Affordable Care Act back in 2016 actually started including instruction and fertility awareness methods underneath covered services for women's preventative health services. So underneath the umbrella of contraception, you know, women needed to be able to get these services without even having a copay. And fertility awareness methods were included in that because they can be used for pregnancy prevention and quite effectively. And so a lot of folks didn't realize this. There were some savvy practitioners like the plaintiff in the case that you just brought up. A, a nurse practitioner, I believe, out of Texas. Yeah. Who had of been all places, Tyler. Yes. Texas. Who had yeah. been using, you know, that to get coverage for her patients for instructing them in fertility awareness methods and kind of in the dead of night type of thing. The Biden administration, with no notice, no explanation, said that they were going to, well, they didn't even say it. They rewrote what was a covered service and did not. And they very noticeably omitted fertility awareness methods where. It was was before previously in the clause under women's preventative health services. And so Dr. Tammy Joe, who's the plaintiff in the case suing the Biden administration, is working with the Alliance Defending Freedom to say, okay, well, you can't just change uh, an entitlement. You can't just change, you know, what's covered without they didn't even open it up to a comment period. There wasn't a notice. They they just didn't do anything the way they were supposed to. And so ADF sued them. And it was going to go into effect in December, but now they're kind of battling it out in court. They got a judge to say, no, you have to let it keep, you have to keep coverage open until we figure this out. So yeah. And and there's there was no explanation for it at all. They just removed it and kind of I think hoped nobody would notice. But yeah, and there and, were and, folks know, who were benefiting from it and they noticed. Gynecologist visits are expensive. So, you know, it's it's an important thing that these things are covered. And for those who have engaged in in vitro fertilization or like those things are very expensive too. So if you could prevent those expenses by, you know, cheaper things that you could learn very early on about your own body that probably would be better. Oh what? yeah. Oh, we could save so much money for women and for couples just by giving them this information earlier yeah. on. And, you, and even if it goes to the level of needing to do the blood work of needing to do some ultrasounds, that sort of thing, you're still on the whole going to be out so much less money than yeah. you would be one, two, three IVF cycles in. Cause on average it takes three cycles yeah. to be effective. So, and you know, someone was also pointing out the youngest, I think the oldest child of IVF is maybe 45 now. Yeah. She's in her 40s. Yeah. So we don't really know, you know, we don't know. We know that there are certain maybe correlation issues. We don't know if what, what causes certain more problems with people that are born in a different way, but this, these technologies are new. Is that knowing yeah. how our body works is just knowing how they've worked forever. So the other myth that I wanted to dispel, I just want to mention, I wanted to mention something before I forget. Evolutionary biology has shown that women, while they're ovulating, tend to attract men. You know, mm-hmm. so if you're single, taking the pill forever and you think you're good looking and no one ever comes after you, you know, there is something, there, there are this just attra- natural hormones and natural behaviors that we have because we are also animals, right? And so oh, there can are be- some fascinating sociological experiments that have been done in this regard. There was one, and I forget where it was done, but uh, strippers who were ovulating made, I forget what percentage more than- Amazing. I'm sorry. Their, I just their thought- Their co-workers yeah, and who you were- know, yeah, This is the part of me that is very, very, very- bodily oriented, like we are embodied soul and we are animals too. So there is a knowledge that our brain have, you know, accumulated with our evolution for millennia and, you know, for millions of years. And the other fascinating one is the sweaty t-shirt study where they have found that when you're on the pill as a woman, you are more attracted to men who have an immune system that's like yours which evolutionarily is not beneficial. It's it's beneficial to be attracted to someone with a very different immune system for the health of your offspring, right? Well, so women on the birth control pill were, they had them smell a bunch of sweaty t-shirts and the men whose immune systems using uh, some chemical or hormone or something, I forget, I don't know how exactly they, they determined this. It was some marker, immune system marker. 
Um, but the men who had more alike immune systems, immune systems, their sweaty t-shirts were more attractive in smell to women on the pill. And then the women who weren't on the pill, the t-shirts, the sweaty t-shirts of the men who were less like them in uh, immune system. So basically you pick the better option. You pick a better mate. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Potentially if you are naturally cycling and not suppressing your fertility. Um, And there's some different theories into why that is, but there's enough little data points out there. And a really, really fascinating book on all this stuff that we've been talking about today is called This Is Your Brain on Birth Control. Amazing. Yeah. By a um, evolutionary psychologist, I want to say, out of TCU. Her name is Sarah Hill. And this book is absolutely fascinating. And she's, you know, says, you know, none of this is definitive. Some of these studies are not reproducible or haven't been reproduced, but there's enough data points out there that should make us say, hmm, maybe if I'm altering my hormones, I might be altering who I am, <laughs> what I'm interested in, who I'm interested in. There's enough out Especially there. Especially if you're very, you know, if you're so material to the point that you don't believe in any religious reasons for doing the things you do or for having certain goals in life where you don't have this metaphysical dimension in you. Mm-hmm. Well, then even more so, you know, if you really, if we really are just a connection of our neurons and cells and then, you know, the chemi- the, the the hormones that run through your body, then of course they're going to determine whether you're exactly. going to go dancing So that's what she not. says, yeah. because I don't believe she's religious at all. She says, you are your hormones. And so if you're changing your hormones, you are changing who you are. And She doesn't advocate necessarily for women to just not be on the pill ever because of that. But she says, you know, women need to know they need to be able to make an informed decision for themselves, which again is the premise behind our petition in natural womanhood is let women have this information. (laughs) They need this information. And often when they do have it, they they're like, what? Why am I on this? Why have why was I ever told it was a good thing for me to go on this? I'm I'm mad about it. And what can I do differently? <laughs> and and you know, and you mentioned again women, but I really think this message goes out to men. You know, if you love them and you you want to yes. be the provider, the man responsible, you want to have a healthy woman, you want to start healthy relationships, there is no way you can let her tell you. You know, men want to be in charge. That that's their natural calling is to be in charge. And so there is all the room for them to be in charge with it and to help and to participate in in this. So there is, you know, we could have gone deeper into what actually looks like, but I just promise that it's very easy to this, you know, all the things about, oh, it's so complicated. You take temperature, blah, blah, blah. It's not true. It's easy. It requires a little bit of practice, but um, for we will we will link to the information, of course, to your website, so that you know anyone interested. And I hope we have generated interested in in people who didn't who had never heard about this, so that they can look it up and know. Uh, one thing, another anecdote that I wanted to close with that I found very interesting. You know, I know that UT has a lot of athletes, mm-hmm. and probably you already know where I want to go. Yeah. So the women athletes, uh, yeah. what is it that they need to know and that they don't know and that, you know, natural family planning would be good for yeah. them? Yeah. I mean, there's more and more out there about how women, which I mean, duh, women are not men. We're not built like men. Well, we shouldn't care what like you say. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll yeah. say it. Okay. Um, And we shouldn't train like men um, when we're athletes. And a lot of the training of elite female athletes is, is, you know, patterned after how we train men. And when you're on the birth control pill and you're not cycling and, you know, I, I guess you can kind of follow that male centric pattern of, of training. But if you're a woman who wants to, you know, respect your, your natural cycle and work with that, there are some really interesting programs out there. There's actually the at UPenn. Uh, they have the Penn Center for the Female Athlete, and they are doing some interesting things where they're coordinating their athletes training with their cycles. And even the women's soccer team did this a few years ago. And there was a there were a bunch of articles written about it. And why are, is that? Why is that important? Because at different times of your cycle, like when you're menstruating, you really should not be going out all hard 
you know, on, on your training, you shouldn't be weightlifting. You shouldn't be, you know, doing super intense cardio during that time. You should be resting. You should be stretching. You should be doing Pilates and yoga. Um, when you're, you know, in other parts of your cycle, that's when you do naturally have more energy when you're naturally going to be able to do things that are a little bit more rigorous and it can actually inform when you're most likely to get injuries, sports injuries, young girls with ACL tears, you know, there's probably a lot of that could be prevented because we actually know that at different parts of your cycle, your ligaments are more elastic and more prone to those kinds of injuries. So if we were actually treating women and training young women like women with an eye to their cycle and how, how we let that inform how we, we train them, we could actually probably, you know, improve their athletic performance. Without having this myth that in order to be great athletes, you need to renounce your femininity, right? Like, right. Which has been true. I think it has been true. You know, I think I'm, I believe I'm a true feminist because, you know, we should be able to get results without renouncing to our nature. Uh, we're yeah. not renouncing yet, right? Being mothers and... Absolutely. And having the, the, and instead it looks like we got to be the CEOs of, but by becoming men. Yeah. To becoming more like men. Yeah. It's all contraception, abortion. It all plays into a male normative culture that says everyone in order to achieve anything, to be of any value needs to be more like the normative body. And that's a male body. Which I think is also very boring for men. Right. Because yeah. they're <laughs> dating themselves. I should hope uh, so. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, so having said that, Grace, I hope this episode was not boring for men as it wasn't. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't for the, the for the ladies listening, but I'm pretty sure we did a good job having the men involved. And for those of them, you know, that want to know more, I also know, again, you're, you and your, your husband are, you know, first you, you you teach these things to couples, but there's a lot of programs out there that they can that anyone can take and learn from. So again, I will provide all the information, and I must say it has been delightful and also quite amusing to talk to you. Thanks. And I wish you the best. And Natural Womanhood is a great great organization that is doing a lot of good. So I again encourage everyone to check it out. And thank you again for your time. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. And if you like this episode, as we hope you do, please remember to share it among your friends. And if there is a chance that you can do it, remember to donate to the Austin Institute so that we can keep to provide this kind of content and more. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of our show, What We Can't Not Talk About. If you like this episode, remember to share it among your friends, subscribe to our channel, and if you can, please donate to the Austin Institute. With your support, we can continue to do this, we can continue our programming, and of course, we will continue to support the research of our fellows. Thank you.